Guys, so we're getting started. We're kind of getting our wheels going with a series that we're doing called Binge Reading the Bible. And the big point of Binge Reading the Bible is a big burden of mine is as a pastor, I know a lot of people, they share the concerns and they look, they always come to me and saying, all right, God, you know, being a pastor, uh, just what do I do with this? You know, there, there's certain parts that I get, certain parts that I don't. And especially when it comes to being a believer and being a Christian, we see everything in this newer section called the New Testament and then everything in the Old Testament and sometimes we're, com we're confused like saying wait a minute how does this one work with this one how can I you know, I get this one but then now there's something over here that's weird there's something here I don't get and so I don't understand how to marry the two together and listen I want you to know if you've ever been confused about that you are not the only one all right you're not the only one In fact, I know that one of the biggest, uh, and, and the, the point of the series is to be able to help and equip you to better understand just what and why this is what it is, you know, the purpose of this, because the foundation of our faith, like we've been saying for the last couple of weeks, is not the Bible. The Bible points us to the foundation. The Word of God points us to the foundation of our faith, which is the Word of God made flesh, which is Jesus. And so gee, the, the resurrection is what is the foundation of our faith. We've been saying that, that because Jesus was written risen the new testament was written because he was risen things were written things that were previously written were preserved because he rose from the dead and jesus's life when you see and believe and trust and place your faith in that then the whole word of god comes alive because he is that word come to life he is and so and the, but the biggest encouragement is this like a lot of times christian feels like listen I, I, I struggle with my faith because there's certain things in here I don't understand. You know, like we, it's, you know, today we, we've read a couple of verses and from different places and like, okay, that's great. But then what about there's some that can be confusing or I don't get how this one with that one. And again, you're not alone. In fact, that's one of the biggest reasons why so many people who grow up in the faith or so many Christians later abandon their faith is because they either misread something Or they bump into somebody who misrepresents something. And usually in the big one that always tends to be the area of focus is a lot of the Old Testament. Where a lot of times professors and these new atheists and authors, they focus on something crazy, something weird. And it says, how can you believe in Jesus and who happens to be, and, and that New Testament is attached to an Old Testament, whom that God sanctions slavery and was oppressive to women and minorities, and, and it was a genocidal, bloodthirsty God. How can you believe in that? And I want you, and so we see that and we experience that, and then when we read certain things, like, wait a minute, oh my gosh, is that, is that true? Is that true? So if I can't trust in this, then what else can't I not trust? And see, the biggest point is a lot of times people feel like, by the way, I want you to know in this one book, there are 66 documents that make up this one book. Every little book in the Bible, all right, is really this one book, a collection of books. That's what it is. And sometimes people feel like I have to defend all 66 books to be a good Christian. But I want you guys to know, listen, to follow Jesus does not require you to defend every, you know, all 66 books. There's only one thing that you have to defend, and that's why you believe in the risen Savior. That's it. That's the one thing you defend. Now, does it mean that you don't have to worry about the rest? Nope. Okay, no, it's great to know. It's great because there's so much in here that will help you to fuel your faith. It's not the foundation of your faith, but these words, these breath of life will fuel your faith. 
in order to see and experience just who God is. And so what we're going to do starting today for the next couple of weeks, last, last week we talked, well, a couple of weeks ago we talked about the backstory of the Bible, how we got the Bible. Last week we talked about the difference between what's the Old Testament and the New Testament. Why is there two? Why, what makes this one so old and how come we can call the New Testament new and it's 2,000 years old, right? And so we talked about that last week, but today what we're going to do is we're going to start a new thing that will take us to the end of the series, which I don't know if you know, but the whole Bible is organized in categories, there's a category of the law, and there's books that are together. Then there's a category of history. Then there's a category called the wisdom and literature books. Then there's a category of the prophets. There's a category of the, the, the gospels, and then the epistles, which were letters written to churches. And then there was the apocalyptic uh, category as well. So what we're going to do starting today is every Sunday, I'm going to choose a category, and I'm going to help you realize, listen, this is why these books are organized in this category. Here's the theme. So when you read any Anything in this category, you understand how to apply it. And not just to, you know, especially we're looking at the Old Testament, so how that connects into the new. And so today we're going to talk about probably one of the most exciting and most boring sections of the Bible. And it's called the, 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 the Pentateuch, the book of the law. It's the first five books of the Bible. Now, some of you might have a lot of experience with this. This is the stories where we see Adam and Eve in creation. We got Noah, Abraham, a lot of amazing stuff. The Exodus, Moses, great things. And this is the every time it happens every year. Some of you are guilty. Listen, me too. I'm guilty of this too. Here's what happens. At the beginning of January, we have so many people who say, I, New Year's resolution, I'm reading the Bible cover to cover. Okay? I'm going to do it. And they start in Genesis. I'm going, okay, I'm good. I'm doing good. Then they, they, they hit their Exodus, and it's, oh, it's super dramatic, all right? And then they, they start to hit their stride in Exodus. Then they hit Leviticus and hit a wall. Because, all right, then they hit Leviticus and they're like, all right, you know, I'm tracking Genesis, tracking the Exodus, all right? Boom. What happened to the story? It's a bunch of rules and laws, and I don't got a goat. What am I going to do with a calf? I can't do that. What's this? Pigeons. And so, right, and there's all this stuff, right, all this crazy nonsense that, like, I don't get it. And then you try to plow through it, but now you've lost momentum. Now you hit numbers, and the story kind of picks up a little bit, but still a little weird. And then you get to Deuteronomy, and then you feel like, wait a minute, why do I feel like I've read everything in Deuteronomy in another book? Like, it's a review. I don't get this. Why is this repeating? I'm done. And so most people don't make it straight through because of this opening section. And so this opening section, these five books of the Bible called the law, the book of the law. Now, there's a lot in there, but the reason why we call these the law, and they were all written, I don't know if you know, these first five books were all written by Moses, okay? 1500 B.C. is around the time that Moses had begun and put all these together. Long time ago, 1500 B.C. And this category is called the book of the law because that was the key thing that was revealed in these five books. And I know sometimes we think rules and laws and God's trying to control me and what, nah, nah, nah. But listen, I don't want you to sleep on this section though. Because this section is the introduction to the whole story of God. In fact, this is like anything else. Listen, if you go and try to watch a movie and you, you know, do that. Go to Netflix, go to a movie that you've never seen before, go halfway into, or just forget the whole halfway. Go 20 minutes in and start the movie. By the time you get to the end, you might appreciate it, you might get it, but isn't, aren't you missing a lot in the first 10, 15 minutes, sometimes even first five? I mean, you know who's crazy? Disney's amazing at this. If you watch any good movie at the very beginning, the first five minutes, a master storyteller packs 
so much into the introduction of every story that you don't even realize until as the story develops, these things that were introduced, now you see kind of go. And then the, when the story climaxes, we're like, wow, okay. And you're able to appreciate it because you were there at the beginning, right? And there's so many things that happen, right? I mean, seriously, it's, I don't, it's crazy how Disney, they get all these cartoons movies and somebody dies at the beginning of the first five minutes. Like, who's going to die? Bambi's mom dies, you know? Uh, Nemo, dead, right? And so all they like, and so all these guys die at the beginning, you know, Mufasa, that one, you know, dead, daddy dead. And all these things, right? So many people die or there's this conflict that happens at the very, every good story introduces a little theme that plays throughout. And it's usually a conflict. It's a problem. It's a tension. It's something that the main character is wrestling with. The loss of a loved one or just not, fe not feeling good enough or whatever. I mean, there's so many little things. And then the introduction sets the stage for the whole story. Listen, I want you to know that some of you, again, these three books of the Bible, especially Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, everybody sleeps on those. Listen, all this whole section sets the tone for the whole story of God. In fact, it, it all climaxes with Jesus. And there is so much packed into these first five books that when you're able to really look and explore, it makes the story of Jesus just climax even more. I'm like, wow, look at that. And it was all there from the beginning. And you see it all there. So this is a section, guys, that I want to encourage you to rethink and to re-look at and re-evaluate because it plays a big part because it's the introduction for a reason. And so here's, here's a bottom line for today, if we can put it up. The bottom line for today is this. The law reveals to us how much God loves us and how we can find life in him. Okay? This is the big theme of all of those five sections. It's called the book of the law for a reason. It, the law played a big, big role. And so the law is this. The law of God was designed to reveal how much God really loved us and how we can find life in him. That's the law. Because I know sometimes we look at things like that and, and we're like, oh, you know, when, when it's oppression. And why are you trying to control me? Let me live my life. Let me do me. You do you. Whatever. And so and it, it can get a little nuts. And then when you look at this and, and there's a lot of these laws that sometimes Christians today, they don't know what to do with. I'm like saying, why was that there? If God said we have to do that, then do we still have to do that today? And if this, like, how? I don't get it. And so the, the big thing is that the whole big idea, anything you read in these first five books, God was trying to reveal himself to humanity. Because here's the thing, when, whenever creation was, up until this point, and up until a little bit more, you know, as man began to go and as man began to go by, listen, the thought and the idea of the reality of God began to fade in the distance. And so God was like, God had been revealing himself through every generation, through every culture. You know, there's amazing things. If you ever look at some ancient traditions, there's things in these gods that they would have. There's these interesting details that say, wow, that sounds like Jesus. That sounds like it's interesting. In fact, in the Mexican culture, there's this feathered serpent god called Quetzalcoatl, okay? And this guy was this god who is this kind of half man, half like this hybrid kind of a god who sacrificed his life so that his people would live. Now, that was an interesting detail, like, whoa, that sounds like Jesus. And the missionaries, if they would have gone in and said, hey, that God, Quetzalcoatl, let me tell you what his name is. His name is Jesus. He actually did it. And look, he just did, you know, they could have leveraged that. And so God has revealed himself and is trying to reveal himself to the world. But he did something unique with this people called Israel. 
When he says, listen, I'm going to make sure you guys are going to get it. And I want to do something in this one nation that's going to impact all of the nations. And so the book of the law, this introduction is important because the whole thing is God trying to get people to wake up, open their eyes and say, listen, this is who I am. This is who I am. And this God, listen, this God was so different than all the ancient gods. You know, I don't know if you've ever, you've all seen maybe stories and movies of, of uh, some stuff like that, had experiences. But I want you to know how, you know, because some of us, we think, oh, this opening, this section so boring or whatever. Listen, this section is revolutionary. Because during the time that Moses wrote this, it was common to think and believe in the multi-gods. That they're all the gods, there were more than gods. It was common, it was not common to believe there was only one God. Around the time of Moses, as he wrote this. In fact, let me tell you what the ancient gods were. They all, all of these across the world, they were all, you know, had this in common. That the gods were actually made in the image of man. There were female and woman gods who were really like the best of us and the worst of us on display. Almost like our modern day heroes. You know, our modern day actresses, superheroes, right? It's the best of us and the worst of us on display. And these gods were gods that were, uh, could be manipulated. Like if you do the right dance or the right sacrifice, you can get them to be happy with you. But these gods were also, you couldn't depend on these gods. They were moody and, you know, rational. I mean, irrational, again, very like us. And so they were different. And they thought that the gods were in nature. That's why they were female gods and, and male gods. And they thought that the gods were in the, the moon and the stars and all of these things. But here in this book, we see that, whoa, hold on. This is different. God is restoring things to normal. When he's saying, listen, this God was different. This God was not in nature. The nature was not divine. Cre nature was created by the divine. And so that was revolutionary to see, no, listen, there is something above it all. Not only that, there's one God, and this God cannot be manipulated. And this God is not made in our image. We are made in his. That's revolutionary. He's just correcting things. And not only that, we can't manipulate this God. You can't just do a sing song and dance and do a little sacrifice and make him happy. But this God is dependable, and this God has an ethic we can trust. So it's very, very, very unique, very different. And so, but this whole theme, the big, again, this is God, the law of God reveals his love for us and how we can find life with him. And at the very beginning, at the very first book, right, if you start reading it within probably 10 minutes, depending on how fast of a reader you are, you're going to see the God begin his mission to rescue the world. The tension, the problem starts at the beginning in the garden when sin enters the world and the tree of life is lost because we've settled, mankind has settled for the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The idea what is that we can choose, we can decipher what is right and wrong. And we lost life and we lost our connection with God. And immediately, you know what the God, the first thing that God does was pursue man. When God, when man turned their back on God, the first thing God did was Ask this question, where are you? He came looking for us immediately. I love that. And so, but, and, and all of this is just, but I, I want you to understand that this section, guys, is revolutionary, not boring at all. This, in fact, the law of God was revolutionary. Some, and this is the one that sometimes people pick on and complain. And saying, oh, well, hey, if you were, you know, that God was so oppressive and so this is so controlling. No, man, you're just totally misreading it because that was not the point of the law. Not once. In fact, if you were a minority, I mean, pick any oppressed and disenfranchised group ever. Okay. Slaves, you know, kids, let's say females, right. Uh, any of those people, the poor. If you were a member of any of those groups, I guarantee you, 
If you had a choice to live in ancient times, in any time and culture, any time in ancient world, you would want to live in Israel. Because the law that Israel had, if applied perfectly, every the most oppressed people in the world fared better in Israel than anywhere else. I mean, they had more rights and more freedoms than any place in ancient times. This thing was revolutionary. Of the, I mean, we are still today applying and realizing the world is still catching up to the law that was written almost 3,000 years ago. The, between the agricultural and the, uh, the irrigation uh, rules that God said, listen, here's how the land works. Here's what you need to do. Science is still trying to catch up to what was Moses wrote down so long ago and showing it to be true. So many things, so many areas, especially in regards to the like, women, which we're going to talk about one. I want to give you this one thing because this atheist friend of mine brought this one up to me, and I didn't know what to do with it at first because I thought it was a lie. I'm like, somebody memed that. That's not in the Bible. Okay, somebody memed that one. And I just made it up and typed it online. And then I looked it up. And I'm like, oh, that's in there. I didn't know what to do with it. And here's the thing, though, because he was, you know, saying, oh, you know, this law is very oppressive to women because, I mean, actually, let me read it to you. You, you interpret. Deuteronomy 22, 28 through 29. Check this verse out. We're going to put it up. And it says this. If a man meets a virgin who is not betrothed or engaged to be married and seizes her and lies with her and they are found, then the man who lays with her shall give to the father a young woman 50 shekels of silver and she shall be his wife because he has violated her. He may not divorce her all her days. And my friend looked at me and says, how can you believe in God who will force the victim of rape to marry her rapist? I didn't know how to answer that. That's what it sounds like, doesn't it? That's in there. It's Moses, the word of the Lord. What do you do with that? Now, see, here's the thing. This, this was, it's one of many, listen, one of many verses that get picked apart. Because like I said, I said a minute ago, this law was revolutionary. It was ahead of its time. This was one of some of the sexual laws that were in there. God had laws on sex and already something like, see, that's why I don't like it. No, nope. let me do whatever. Like, no, no, no. See, there's actually like 19 laws that regard sex, right? And everybody loves when a preacher talks about sex. Everybody just sits up a little bit more. So here we go. Listen, there's about 19 laws in the Bible that refer and talk about sex. Meaning, don't do. Don't do, don't do, don't do. Just so you know, it took, it's taken cultures and society hundreds and some over a thousand years to catch up to these laws that Moses wrote. In fact, out of the 19 sex laws that exist in the, you know, in the law here, 17 out of 19 of them are either illegal in modern day terms or like frowned upon. Meaning, look, that's not illegal, but bro, you don't do that. I was like, no, no one does no one does that. You don't do it. 17 out of the 19, it took the rest of the world hundreds, if some, and over a thousand. Some are still catching up because it was so revolutionary. We realized, wow, you know what? There, there's a lot of logic to that. Yeah, yeah, we, we don't do. And this 17 out of 19 are illegal. So what do you do with this one, though? And again, if God, if the law was meant, what did I say what the law was for? The law is meant to reveal the love of God and how to find life. Where's love in that law? Where is the love in that law, right? Well, let me tell you. Here's what it is. See, at first that word sees and lies, obviously lies meaning having sex with, sees kind of can be, you can say, well, okay, that's somebody taking somebody by force, right? And then at the end, uh, he has to pay. He has to buy this person and, they, and she's stuck for the rest of his life. Well, let me tell you, I want you to know that this is, especially on a day like today when we're talking about women, listen, this was a pro-woman law. 
This was a law to protect women. Right? And there's two interpretations. You can read it, but regardless of how you interpret it, it's pro-women. Here's how you know. This is how God shows the law is meant to reveal the love of God. Here's how it is. Let's just assume that this is, yeah, full on. Dude, you go ahead and you, you violate a woman, you rape her, then, hey, yeah, she, she's yours. She's yours for the rest of your life. That's it. And so, number one, that kind of is supposed to impose and to put a guard against somebody who was willing to, if ever considering, because this is not just a one-time moment. This is something that you would have to experience and have to deal with the rest of your life. It's not just you can't be in the passion, be in the moment, do what you want to do, and then walk away with no responsibilities. In fact, here, that 50 shekels of silver is not like 50 bucks. And I mean, uh, how much? You know, no, it's not 50 bucks. This was a large amount of money that people didn't carry in their wallets. Some people didn't even, couldn't even make this within, you know, within a year. And so this was a, you would go bankrupt. You would go bankrupt if you had to do this. And by the way, why pay? Because listen, back in the day, listen, ladies, your most valuable possession was your virginity. That's what it was. Still is today, even though some people don't, but whatever. And so your most valuable possession was your virginity. Because see, if you weren't a virgin, you weren't going to get married. And if you, if something happened to you, like if you got married and divorced, or if something, you know, somebody violated you, you know, whatever, then you, your choices in life were be poor, kill yourself, right, die, because your life is going to be disgusting, or be uh, a prostitute. That was your options. And so this was your most valuable possession. And so obviously, and this is a, you know, you, anybody, when they got married, you had to compensate the father for the lack of, you know, you're losing a, a, an employee really on the farm. So, uh, but listen, that 50 shekels was a lot of money that nobody just kind of randomly had like that. And if you didn't have the money, you now you were a slave to that father. Could you imagine being that dude's slave, knowing what you did to his daughter? Ain't going to end well for you. Right. And then not only that, and you just can't divorce this person because there was laws that says if you divorce someone, death, you die. And again, because the law was meant to do something and to show and reveal something. So there was life and death. And if you fall out of line of God, there's death. And so if you divorced death. Now, not only that, but if you ended up doing, and there was other verses that says, hey, if you violate somebody, death again to you, death today. All right. Now death to you. And so the thing was, is why all of this? And so, okay, so number one, that was a way of preventing. But let's just, another real way of interpreting, which is the most common interpretation of this, is this is a guy who sees a moment, sees a little, you know, sees a little dime piece and says, hmm, okay. And he wants to seize the opportunity, shoots his shot, see what's out there. And so this is someone who maybe doesn't, he seizes an opportunity, doesn't force, but kind of coerces, you know, has the line and kind of woos the individual, whatever. And this is actually a consensual one as well. So because if they are found out, hey, it, there's no such thing as a one-night stand for God. You do it, you're married, you're stuck. Okay, that's kind of the deal. And so, but the idea was this was a pro-woman law. This is not an anti-one, even though it sounds bad. But it was, again, a, it, everything in the law actually put men, held men responsible for how they treated women. Huge. Held them at a high rate of responsibility. They had to respect them. And so this is an extreme law to show, you. look, you just can't do that. She's valuable. And, you know, you got to weigh the odds. And if you really want it, there's other ways. And so this was one, guys, if you ever get anyone to throw something like this and like, oh, how could you? Listen again, what is the law supposed to reveal? The love of God. So you ask yourself, where's the love? So there's love here. This was one of many laws that God would do to protect and to preserve women. 
That was the big one, okay? And so that's the law. And so let's, let's break it down. Look, these are the first five books, all right? So some of you have experienced with Genesis, right? The Genesis literally means the beginnings. And so in Genesis, we have the beginning of all things. We have the first man, the first woman, the first family, right? We have how the languages first developed and diversified. We have how people began to first migrate across the land. It's the story of all first things. How God chose one man, Abraham, to make this one nation that would bless the world in the book of Genesis, in fact, within the first couple of chapters, we have the beginning of the mission of God. Like I said, when mankind sinned, when we turned around and messed everything up, when sin entered the world, God's first response and the first thing out of his mouth was a question. Where are you? Now, God wasn't ignorant. It didn't mean that now God didn't know where Adam and Eve was. That question speaks volumes because it says, hey, our connection was lost. I want you. Where did you go? I am pursuing you. So in this book of Genesis, we see the beginning of God organizing all of things. Then we have Exodus. Some of you guys might be familiar with Moses, right? The nation of Israel is now a slave. They've become a nation at this point, and they are slaves in Egypt. And here, God calls Moses, and they leads him out. We've seen, some of you seen the movies, right? The Ten Commandments, the plagues, all of those amazing things, right? There's the Passover lamb, the angel of death, the water parts through on both sides, a walk through there to go to the mountain. It was really, by the way, I don't know if you know, that was, that was a big, that was a wedding ceremony that God had with the nation of Israel. And so here they are with the, you have the blood and water mixed in there and you have the Passover lamb initiating everything. Then God walks down the aisle with the people down this water canal, right, where he splits the walls and then they go to the altar called Mount Sinai. They exchange vows and they come into relationship. That was a wedding that God had with the nation of Israel in the book of Exodus. And so this one's really exciting. But then you hit Leviticus. And I was like, all right, what happened? And I was like, I don't get it. And so let me tell you what Leviticus is. Leviticus stands for Levites. It's really the book, the rules and regulations for the Levites. God had chosen one tribe out of the 11 tribes of Israel. And the job of the Levite was simple. Listen, be close to me, learn who I am, and then your job is to help the other 11 tribes to understand how to have a relationship with me. That's your job as the Levites. And so the whole book of Leviticus has a lot of rules and regulations about, I mean, hygiene and agriculture, this, and, and of, of interacting with people, fair, you know, trade, business, relationships, family, all of these things. Because God was trying to say, listen, this is what holy life looks like every day. This is what a holy life looks like every single day. The law that I've given you, here's how to have, because I want you to be holy like I am holy. And so in Leviticus is the first time in the scriptures that we see the phrase, love your neighbor. That's, that's really important. The first time we see in scriptures, love your neighbor is in Leviticus. Then numbers, and again, by now numbers is kind of like, you know, data, whatnot, and there's some data in there. That's why it's called numbers. It's not super creative, I guess, for, for some people, but it is. And really the numbers is, let me sum it up in 30 seconds. There's two things that happens in the book of numbers. Number one, it's them organizing and getting ready to leave the mountain of God to head to the promised land. That's the beginning of numbers. And then the rest of numbers is the journey to the promised land. So there the story picks up a little bit. There's the ups and the downs and their failures along the way. And so that's what Numbers is, is the journey between the Mount Sinai, the mountain of God, and the promised land. And then we have Deuteronomy, which Deuteronomy is nothing but Moses' farewell address. 
Okay, that's what it is. Every president does a farewell address every handful of years, right? And so this is Moses' farewell address. The reason why so much of Deuteronomy is a repetition of things that you've been reading since Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers is because the people that Moses is speaking to, they weren't alive when all of that was first written and read. Because it's been 40 years. In the book of Numbers, 40 years have gone by. And the, a lot of the parents and the grandparents who grew up and were slaves in Egypt have long passed. And now it's the next generation that's going to walk into the promised land. And so Moses is here trying to leave a legacy with the next generation, telling them things that had not happened, repeating them once again, saying, listen, you're about to enter the promised land. I can't go with you. My time is up. I'm about to die. But let me just go once more and repeat the covenant that God has made with you. God is doing something special. And you need to come into commitment with him. And they'll say, yes, we will do. And God will do. And all right. And so that's what the book of Deuteronomy's was. It was his farewell address, him encouraging this new thing. And by the way, the theme of Deuteronomy, which is crazy, which is a great summary of, again, the law. The theme of Deuteronomy, if you read it, you constantly hear Moses say this phrase. All right. Repeat after me. Say, choose life, not death. If you've ever read Deuteronomy, you see that pop up a lot. Choose life, not death. In essence, Moses is encouraging his people, listen, as you walk through life, as you enter into the promises of God, choose life. Follow him. Don't abandon God. When you walk in God's ways, you will find life. When you find God, you find life. But if you try to avoid God, if you try to, if you don't realize your need for him, it's gonna, there's no life there. It's going to end in death and disappointment and frustration. So if he, as a, as a good grandfather now, you know, big great-great-grandfather, Paul, um, Paul, keep on saying it, Moses is trying to tell these people, listen, guys, just choose life. It's all about life and death. Choose life. And so this whole thing, listen, the whole book of the law, again, if we can put the bottom line, the book of the law is what? It's the law is supposed to reveal the love of God and how we can find life in him. And this whole opening section, we see how regularly, if you chose life, what would happen? And if you would chose death, if you chose the opposite of God, what would happen? It was the pros and the cons. It was the literally an, an explanation of both. And it was, an, again, once more an encouragement because it is through it all that we can see the love of God. And the, this law was meant for a purpose and for a reason. And it all climaxes with Jesus. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 5.17. In Matthew 5, 17 through 20, I believe, I think I'm going to read the rest of it. says, do not think that I have come, Jesus says, to abolish the law. I have not come to abolish the law like if it's a bad thing. I have not, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. The reason why he was saying abolish them is because a lot of his ethic and a lot of what he, Jesus was talking and teaching about was a little different. He sounded like he was rewriting it. In fact, there's laws that Jesus amplified where there was one law that said hey you've heard it said that if you commit adultery okay then that's not a good thing but I tell you that even if you think about it if you think on law on unholy thoughts that is the same you've heard it said don't commit you know don't murder but if you hate someone in your heart it's just as if you've murdered them so there's some laws that Jesus has amplified but there's also laws that Jesus reversed where there was one law that said hey eye for an eye tooth for a tooth if they do this to you, then you got to do. You're allowed to do it back to them. Okay, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But Jesus reversed that law, where he says, "Now, if somebody smacks you in the face, turn the other cheek. You don't get a good slap back, all right? You don't get a, you don't get a clap back that way. No, no, no. 
turn the cheek. So some laws, Jesus was being accused of abolishing the law, not respecting the law, because he was reversing some, amplifying others. And so he's like, no, no, no I just want you to know, I'm not here, I'm not trying to abolish anything. I am trying to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one iota, not one dot, comma, sentence, period, exclamation point, will pass from the law until it is accomplished. That means that when the law is accomplished, it's going to pass away. Something new would be introduced, which is we talked about last week, a new covenant, a new law that God has given us. He continues on. Look at this one. It says this. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of these of the uh, one of these of the least of these commandments teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. For whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribe and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So what he's saying here is like, how can what he's saying is like, look, I'm not here to diss anything. Look, don't don't say what, you know, you know, put words in my mouth because the law was good. So what he's saying here is like, look, don't ignore, don't criticize. The law was good and it served for a purpose. But this last phrase is going to be the big takeaway for all of you. The big takeaway that could be the difference between life and death for you today. And not literally, but spiritually. Check it out. Your righteousness needs to exceed the laws of the Pharisees and the scribes. Let me tell you what those groups are and we're almost done. Those groups were the experts in the law. Those groups knew the law front and back, back and forth. In fact, they prided themselves on being amazing rule followers, okay? These are the, you know, these are the brown noses that, you know, when you were in school, always doing, and, you know, can we, you know, can we read, have some extra homework today? Like, Shut up. I was like, what are you doing, right? It's, it's always that guy, right? These are, these are the ones that were always trying to um, just go over the top, and they thought that they were right with God if they got the rules right. And Jesus is saying, listen, the rules, the law was good, guys. The law is good, but it's not, not good enough just to follow it. Your righteousness has to be better than these scribes, meaning you cannot settle for just following the rules. You know what some people, their view of Christianity is? Let me, try not, let me just try to manage my sin real quick, okay? Like I'm following Jesus is just about doing more good than bad, right? That, that's, listen, that's not, there's no life there. There's no life in trying to manage your sin. That's not what God called us to do. That's not what Jesus allows us to do. We're not here just to manage my sin. We're not here to say, you know, I love it when somebody asks the question, is this a sin? Meaning it's kind of like, that's like spiritual limbo, right? Like how low can I go without falling into hell, right? That's kind of the idea. Like what can I get away with? Before God smites me, right? And so, no, see, that's not, no, that's not life. That's not life at all. That's not what God called us to do and follow these rules and see, okay, what can I get away with and what's the loopholes? No, nah, man, that's what these guys were doing. And Jesus says, you got to be better because the law was not meant for you just to follow. In fact, look what Paul says, and he reiterates this. All have fallen short of the glory of God. The glory, the standard of God, the law itself, not one person has been able to keep it perfectly. Do you know why? We had the, the ancient Israel had a sacrificial system where they had to kill animals was because every year they had to commit a sacrifice. Every year they had to sacrifice an animal, which was their money, which was important to them. It was a reminder, you failed this year. You failed. There's death to you unless you kill this animal. You know, if you don't impart death on this animal, then you die. 
right? And so it was a yearly reminder of their failures. It was a yearly reminder because there was not enough animals that would say, all right, God, have you met your quota yet? Are we good or we got to keep doing this? It was a constant reminder of their failures and their need for a Messiah to put an end to that. And so all have fallen short, not one of us. And some of you heard this uh, story. I, I, I know it's Mother's Day, but I have a dad fail that I have to say today. We were at a couple, last year we went to Disney, and my kids, we wanted to ride Flight of Avatar over at Animal Kingdom. If you haven't ridden that ride, oh my gosh, it's amazing. You got to ride it. So we went over there, and I was excited. We hadn't ridden it yet. My youngest, he's, you know, was five, six. And so I knew it was going to be close. He had to be 44 inches tall. He goes up, and he stretches real tall. You know, he stands up, correct? And he's not, you know, he's right there. And he looks like he got it. And then the person comes in with a piece. The, the attendee takes a sheet of paper and just goes, no, nah, he's too short. He's too short. I'm like, no. Oh, my gosh. It's like, I, I mean, my heart broke for him because now he can't ride it. His other brothers get to ride it. Mom and dad get to ride it. He don't, I saw the disappointment in his face. He knew it because he was trying to milk me for something because we're in the, in the uh, gift shop, and he knows I feel guilty. So he's like, Daddy, can you buy me this? Daddy, can you buy me this? Can you buy me that? Can you buy me that? Because he knew it. He saw it in my eyes. I was weak, and so he was going for it. But then I did, you know, like any good dad would do. I saw the attendee who had checked him switch with somebody else, so I went to the restaurant, grabbed some napkins, shoved it in his shoes, and went back in line. And so we went back in line, and this time, miracle, he's tall enough. Yay, and he hit the thing, and we went in. And this was awesome. Oh, my gosh, he's super excited. I'm like, chill, chill, you're going to get us in trouble, chill. It's like, walk normal. It's like, I can't, you know, because he has all these, all of these napkins, and he's like, daddy, I'm trying, I'm trying, I can't. And so we're going to just walk normal, man, just chill, man, come on, you're going to ruin it. And so we're going, and it's exciting, and right as we're about to get in, line my youngest my middle one looks at me and Josiah goes daddy isn't that cheating Did, didn't you just lie daddy I was like, Ugh, called out called me out all right seven-year-old man just called me out what are you going to say to him <sighs> I was like you know well, what good excuse could you be like yeah just Ride the ride. Get on the ride. And I was like, before, I'm going to send you back. You know, whatever. And I was like, you know, I'm going to take your shoes off. And so, and so that was hard. But listen, not only did JJ fall short, so did I. I fell short of God's standard at that moment. Even though it was simple, right? Oh, it was simple. But even one, that was a lie. It was. But listen, you and I, when we fall short of God's glory, it's not like JJ. It's not like just, eh, oh, buddy, you almost made it. Woo, that was close. To hell with you, right? No, that's, that's not how it works, okay? We're not just like, you know, there. We're not just short. I mean, it is drastically short. We fall insanely short. None of us. Do you know how I know this? Here's how you can know this. Ready? How many of you have ever done the wrong thing knowing what the right thing was? How many of you have ever done that? Think about that. You knew this is right, this is wrong, I know this is right. I know it's wrong, but I'm going to do the wrong thing anyways. You have fallen short too. That shows there's something in us that just is not enough. The law was meant to reveal the love of God and to show us life, but the law was also meant to prove to us none of us are good enough. That's what the law was. The law was meant, all right, guys, you want to be holy like me? Here's how to do it. Here's how to treat people, and you got to be perfect at it. You mess with one, you mess one, it's like you fail the whole thing. This is pass or fail with God. Pass or fail. And we've all failed. 
That's why Jesus says, I had to fulfill the law in order that you may have life. So Jesus came and did what he did so that we can have life. In fact, Jesus fulfilled the law so much. And we see it in this one verse. Uh, there was a Deuteronomy verse. If you put Genesis to Deuteronomy. This one theme, this is one key verse that sums up the whole law. And it's Deuteronomy 6. And it's called, the, the Israelites call it the, she, the Shema, Shema, however you pronounce it. And it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the key verse of the whole book of the law. Because in that one verse, God is saying, listen, the law is all about love. I just want you to love me. I love you. And all I want, all I want is that you love me back. That is the book of the law. The law is meant to reveal the love of God and to find life. And all the law was meant to do is give parameters for that life. That's all that was for. But then here, so, but Jesus, in order to find that life, because none of us could be good enough at following the rules, Jesus came. And he fulfilled the law. In fact, Jesus fulfilled Genesis. And Jesus fulfilled Genesis in that through him, he was the sacrifice. He was, through him, we see the beginnings of God's missions to re restore the world through his love in the book of Genesis. In Exodus, we see that God wants to free his people from the slavery of sin, and he was going to send one man to do that. In Leviticus, we see that if we trust in Jesus, he will lead us and guide us as he transforms us into a kingdom of priests, like what Emily was reading earlier today, that Jesus is going to be the high priest to lead us into becoming a kingdom of priests, that life would happen and he would show us how to live. In Numbers, it shows us that through Christ and the Holy Spirit, we are equipped for the journey of life from the moment that we meet God all the way until we walk into his promises. Jesus fulfilled that. And then finally in Deuteronomy, because Jesus gave his life, we now, through faith, can choose life and avoid death. We have that because of Jesus. That's what he did. And so, again, to wrap up, guys, I want to make sure you understand, if you ever read anything in these first five books, there's a lot of rules in there. But the big part is this. Listen, the law was meant to reveal the love of God for you. In fact, now, because of Jesus, you can exchange a life of rule following for following Jesus in a loving relationship. That's what the law was for. And now because of Jesus, here's what we can do. Because listen, none of us are going to be good enough at following the rules. Jesus did not want a relationship where you're just following rules. That's what God never wanted. What did he want? For you to love me with all that you got because I love you with all that I am. And so now you can exchange a life of rule following for following Jesus. That's what God wants for us. That's what he was designed for, and that's what we now see. And because Jesus fulfilled the law, now we can learn from the law like we were doing today. We can learn from it. We can be inspired by it. But now we can be free from feeling that we have to be perfect at living by it. Because that's not what it's for anymore. Jesus did that for us. For now, our relationship with God has nothing to do with perfectly following rules. Yet it has everything to do with being perfected as we follow Jesus in love. And that's where I want to end today. I want to make sure that sets in. Because too many people feel like, well, I, I gotta, I, before I can follow Jesus, I got to get right. I got to get stuff right. I, I, I got to, no, listen, you, you got it completely backwards. It's not about perfectly following rules. It's about following Jesus as he perfects you as he helps you with this that's all he wants is you to just 
follow me now. In fact, that was the one thing that Jesus said to all the disciples. He didn't say to them, hey, Peter, Paul, you guys, hey, believe in me. His invitation was, follow me. Just follow me. Follow me and you'll find life. And so my encouragement to all of you, because it's so easy to get wrapped up in, all right, I, I got to follow my own rules. I got I to read the Bible every day. I got to do this and I got to do that. And I got I to gotta give and I got to show up to church. I got to volunteer. I got to do that. I got to be good. I got to say my whatever. It's so easy to sit even to today in, in setting, settling for rules. But listen, God did, Jesus did not die. So you can go now and follow rules for the rest of your life. The rules will happen. The, the actions will happen because he just wants you to follow him in a loving relationship. It's not about being perfect because we can't be that. But as we follow him, we are perfected in his love.